0: Capital One knows life does not alert you about your credit card. Hey couch surfers, we have got non-stop tunes to keep you rocking while you work. Oh, and Colleen, yes you, Colleen with a K. Your free trial of Movie Plus ends tomorrow and your card may be charged. Do you want to continue or do you want to cancel? So meet Eno, the Capital One assistant. Eno looks out for surprise charges like when free trials expire and helps if you need to fix them. You know, another way Capital One is watching out for your money when you're not. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Limitations do apply. You mentioned married with children. I'll never forget.
1: Here I was, this kid who just squeaked by an audition and got this role. And I played Frank, her boyfriend. And I remember I was so nervous when we started taping. And I was like, I'm shaking I got Christina Applegate on the back of the bike I'm trying to keep it steady and the lights are off and the lights go on Luckily the guy who opened the door one of the actors messed up his line and they had to reset it and I'm like okay (laughs) I don't know someone was maybe looking out for me
0: Oh, what's up? What's cracking? Welcome to the gym Run podcast episode 131. Thank you so much for dialing it up and carving out the time. I guarantee it. It's gonna be worth the effort today. My guest is actor producer and friend David Boreanaz. Now, you know David from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, and Bones. Right now, he is starring in and EPing the CBS Smash SEAL team, which I cannot recommend enough. It is a great show. He's also a big-time Philly sports honk who has takes for days on the Flyers, Sixers, Eagles, and Phillies. We're going to talk about why he chose acting over sports and all the great work he's doing with our service people. Plus, what it was like to audition against Bradley Cooper back in the day. So, keep it locked. Episode 100. One hundred and thirty-one with David Boreanaz starts right now. David, my man, it is so good to run you down. First off, how are you, Jamie, Jaden, and Bella holding up during the quarantine? And what is a typical day like for you in lockdown, David?
1: It's fucking crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, it's, it is a bit bananas. Just being that we when we went into this quarantine thing where the whole thing kind of like tipped over upside down, like it did, I'm sure for everybody. Cause you don't really know where you're heading and then bam, everything gets shut down. You're, you're thrown into your house and you're trying to kind of acclimate yourself back to like reality in a little bit because you're, I mean, it was so going and going with the show and then you go back and it's like, Oh, well you have to stay in and you can't go out. And, there's these restrictions and then it's like, wow, you get to know your, your wife again and your kids again. And, you know, Jaden being 18 and and Bella being 10. And it's like, you know, you go from playing board games to, uh, you know, I don't know, silly uh, haircut things, which uh, obviously I didn't get into the hair thing, but it just, it just went on and on and on. But, you know, we're, we're staying safe. We're good. Everything's calm. Um, I think I've, watched every uh television sports rerun that i could possibly see (laughs) and i was still cheering for my flyers or my sixers even though it was a freaking rerun my wife would look at me like it's a rerun you know that right right there is an outcome but i continue to still scream at the television if they didn't score a goal or if they made a bad play so you know it's been a it's been a grueling fun kind of uh trip for us man and uh hopefully there's a little end in sight here but uh it's been it's been fun and, and kinda of monotonous and groundho hoggish. So, you know, we're doing we're doing the best we can and
0: for what we have. I think that's so well said. I think a lot of people are experiencing exactly what you just said. And it's so funny about the sporting event thing too, right? Like you've seen these things, you know what's going to happen, and you're still pissed, mm. but we're all so hungry for content. Listen, before we talk about SEAL Team and some other things, let's just yeah. backtrack for a minute because we're in a podcast and we can do this. Okay. You're a big Philly fan. Most know yeah. that. But the fact is, you were not born there. You were born in Buffalo. Moves Thank can be God. traumatic, <laughs> all right? For instance, we moved from the <laughs> west side to the valley when I was in seventh grade. I'm okay. still not right. And that was 40 years ago. What was it like moving from Buffalo to Philly when you were eight? Was that tough? It was
1: bashing because, you know, you go from Buffalo, which is a small town, and then you move to a big city like Philadelphia, and you just get you just get bullied or crushed. And, you know, you, your introduction to the sports teams there especially, it's a very blue-collar city. Um, so I went from small-town Buffalo, which had – great family friends and, you know, pool parties to, Hey, everyone goes to the Jersey shore. It's in the eighties and people are are joining country clubs and we're like, we don't join country clubs. And it was rampant eighties, just excessiveness on so many levels. I was seven at the time. And um, my transition was all about sports and like the flyers and the Phillies. But when I went there and moved to Philadelphia, everything was like golden. It was Tug McGraw, Pete Rose, it was, you know, the Sixers, Dr. J, and it was Bobby Clark and Bill Barber. So I was seeing, like, championship teams. I was like, no, we don't have that in Buffalo. You know, I was watching the French Connection, and then I'm spilled over to a big city, and I'm like, here I am, and these these teams are winning, winning right. World Series, or, you know, they're in the cup finals, or, you know, and they're the championship, the NBA finals. It's like, this is, like, heaven for me. Um, but it was definitely – um, it was like just getting beat up on the, in the, in the part, in the streets of Philadelphia. And then you get over that and you, then you start to acclimate yourself into that Philadelphia attitude. Um, and, uh, ever since then, it's just been like this whirlwind ride of, Oh, I left Buffalo. I still have friends there. But then when I moved to Philadelphia, it was pure city love. And I remember being at the spectrum and, and my dad took me and we saw the Sabres play the flyers and we were sitting in the nosebleed seats. And I started to root for the Sabres, and that was a bad move.
0: Oh, dude. Because by the
1: end, by the end of the first period, it was like my dad's like, you cannot cheer if they score. These guys are looking at you. They're throwing down cheesesteaks like six at a time, and they're like, you're going down uh, by the end of the second period if you don't move over to our side. No, and I, I, I did, and, and it just became a big Philadelphia fan.
0: I mean, uh, I could see where that would be traumatic if you were a young kid. But th- think about this, though. Like you, I mean, obviously, you love sports, and you were there yeah. during the golden era. You're a good athlete. So how did acting win out over sports for you? It was, for me, it was, I, I
1: just loved, I loved playing, you know, football and, uh, and baseball, and I wanted to play sports. I was a bit of an athlete. The acting thing was like, oh, uh, I'm at school, and you can try out for a play. So I kind of kept it kind of submerged, and I really didn't want to do it. And I remember in fourth grade trying out for a play, and out of nowhere, this burst of energy came out. And everyone's was like, whoa, okay, we've got a little actor here. Um, ended up doing some plays in fourth and fifth grade. Then I stopped. Then I was a jock all through high school. Then I got injured, played football, blew out the ACL. At that time, it was like Lennox Hill, cut the whole knee open. I was like devastated my senior year, didn't get the playing time I thought I was going to get. And then just graduated, went out to Ithaca College, and just, you know, the acting thing came through again. And I, I wanted to, you know, you know, get involved in the acting of it all. So for me, I was kind of like, I was kind of swallowing the acting bug, and it just would come out at certain times. And even at eighth grade, I, I mean, I remember trying out for Hello Dolly, and I was like, you know, playing football. Uh, basketball, sports, and then I go and try out for the, the play, and all my sports friends are like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, right. try out for the play, right? And I go up there, and I, I crush it, and I was like, whoa, where's this kid come from? Where's he been for two years? Hmm. So it, it was kind of in me, and it just kind of came out, and you know, I've been lucky enough to, to, to you know, progress down that line and get to the process of it, and very fortunate to, to be where I am. So it started early, and I kind of kept it hidden so to speak.
0: Well, process to me is so so apparent and so important, and we can talk about that in a minute, but you come to LA like millions of others, and you take your mm-hmm. shot, and you're trying to make it happen. In the early days, you would go up against Bradley Cooper in auditions. What do you remember <laughs> about that? What was that time like?
1: It was all like, you know, I, it, I remember going up against Bradley for a film role or something, and it was, it was me, him, and a couple other guys that were other well-known actors, I can't remember who they were, but me, I mean, Bradley was from Philly, he was a, he's a good guy, and it was a comedy, and I ended up, you know, doing really well in the audition, um, and then the film just goes north, like, they really, they wanted me, and then they, they didn't take Bradley, and then all of a sudden, like, they lost their financing, I'm like, shit, you know, there I am, and, you know, you, you bump into people along the way, early on, whether you're, like, for me, it was like auditioning for commercials, I was the guy who did all the beer commercials, Right. I was the guy who worked with all these young directors, like young David Fincher um, or people that were like doing these commercials while they were, you know, exploring their film uh, uh, aspirations. And I was the beer guy or I was like the Pepsi guy. I did a Zima commercial. But you run into these guys, these young actors along the way. And then down the road, you're like, oh, shit, he shot off. You know, his film career went crazy. I stayed in television which is fine with me. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of one of those things when he's a great guy um, and, um, you know, everyone has their different paths and how they get to certain places. Um, But, you know, the early days were, they were rough. And, you know, my first three years in in California was more or less about going out at night, you know, living with a bunch of guys, we'd rent a house and we had a house and, uh, you know, it was like Monday through Friday, we were going out and, Then I would try to find auditions. I mean, I couldn't even chew gum and walk at the same time. I was a complete mess. I had no technique whatsoever, none whatsoever. Then I got into the process of it, took the really great classes and got into the improvisational aspect of it and honed in on it. And, you know, I got some lucky breaks and I I fell into it with married with children. And, uh, things like that, which kind of, you know, shot me up a little bit. Um, but then, you know, you go cold for a while, you don't get anything, and you just got to keep putting the work in, and um, that's that's what I did.
0: Yeah, David, there's so much in that answer that's so interesting to me. You mentioned Married with Children. I'll never forget, you know, like when Fox <laughs> became an over-air network, and that show was the biggest thing in the world. I mean, the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. What do you remember about that, and what did that do for you in your career?
1: I remember how kind everybody was um, That 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 cast. Um, Ed O'Neill, Christina Applegate, um, the whole bunch of people welcomed me. And here I was, this kid who just squeaked by an audition and got this role. And I played Frank, her boyfriend. And I arrived on this big Harley Davidson outside of the the front door. And I remember I was so nervous when we started taping the first time we taped it because we had rehearsed all week. And I was like, shit, I'm fucking shaking. I got Christina Applegate on the back of the bike. I'm trying to keep it steady. And the lights are off, and the lights go on. Luckily, the guy who opened the door, one of the actors, messed up his line. And they had to reset it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't know, someone was maybe looking out for me. Then we did it the second time. They restarted it, live audience. And, you know, I got my lines done. It worked. But I really remember the cast and how supportive they were of me, how how kind they were, Um you know, I see Ed O'Neill around a lot and um, you know, we talk about those days and you know, I remember how great he was to me and uh, we have a few laughs, you know, or if I bump into Christine Applegate, we have a few laughs and you know, listen, it was, a, it, was a, it was an exciting period of my life because I was able to kind of get in, do something and then like, oh, well this has got to continue, right? Like you know, they, they thought about making my character a series regular and then boom, before you know it, I was out. And I'm like back on the streets. And, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, shit happens and you're just kind of like, oh, I got to go find another job. Like, it's not going to last forever. And I got really close with Christina Applegate. She's a great person. And, um, you know, I met her mom and spent some time with her. Just, you know, we hung out and then. Um, things didn't work out between me and her. And, you know, I got involved with her. She was my girlfriend for like four months and things just kind of got like spiraled up. And the next thing you know, I'm in the rags, like who's Christine Applegate dating. And then boom, I'm in New York city with her. And then, uh, my agent's like, you got to come back, man. What are you doing? You hanging out with her while she's doing a movie. You got to get back to the grind. So, but uh, those days were fantastic. I loved that show. I love the people that were on it. And, um, you know, I reminisce with them when I bump into them all the time.
0: All really interesting people, all great guys. I can remember. It's funny you say that, David, because when I got my first TV show, it was we taped it at yeah. Hollywood and Vine, and I remember yeah. one night after the show, we went out to dinner, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" There's Bud Bundy, you know, and David yeah. Faustino was like running the club and the kid looks like he's 13 but could not have been more comfortable and acting (laughs) like he belonged there it was just the era man it was the time it was so interesting you know i i'm gonna skip ahead like we could talk buffy we could talk bones we could talk about angel Mm -hmm. all great things but seal team right now to me is such Mm -hmm. an amazing show for those who are not familiar with seal team you play jason hayes who is Mm -hmm. jason hayes and what's his deal
1: I mean, he's he's a leader of a a tier one operating group, which is the elite force pretty much in special operations. So he runs uh, a tier one operation with a bunch of guys that are basically all of his brothers. I was not too familiar with what a SEAL actually did when I first got this. And I looked over at Jamie. She's like, what are you talking about? SEALs are like the most badass people around. Um, Because I just come off playing, you know, Booth and Bones and he was with the FBI. And, you know, I thought he was pretty badass then i got to know the seals and what they actually did for a living so we go out on these missions and we're deployed all over the place and we examine their lives in a way whether they're struggling with ptsd or tbi jason hayes is a very compartmentalized character who can go off the rails at any time he keeps it together by continually the push i call him like tom Brady; he's the goat of the football of the NFL. The guy can run offense. He knows how to drive the ball down. He knows how to score. He knows how to take his team in, get the bad guys, and get home. Does his job good. He's efficient. He's effective. But what's great about him, he's so destructive underneath because he's in so much pain. He's lost 24 guys he's got on his cell phone that he can't even look at to, to go back to erase or come to grips with. He suffers with, you know, he lost his wife the second season. She got hit by a car he's a single dad so there's so much conflict with the character but exteriorly you know, he's a badass you know and um age is catching up to him so he's a fun character to play but also humbling because i work with the real the real guys like mark owens 13 deployments uh within the bin laden raids, you know captain phillips knows all the juice all the stories We have people that uh, are Delta Force guys, um, you know, who have been injured, who are just part of the show. So for me, it's it's a learning experience to get into their heads and also a character that just drives – the show and i love it i and and physically and mentally it's it's a very exhausting character to play
0: i was going to say you know what's really interesting to me about that is the fact that you said i really didn't know anything about seals but when you get right down to it have you that said have you ever been more in tune with a character in your career than you are jason hayes
1: no i mean i just think he's full-on throttle like for me it's i've always said Yeah, when I was playing uh, you know, Booth on Bones, I I loved it. He was sarcastic. It was kinda like these two characters and they were going back and forth and the dynamic was funny and and hilarious. But this character is so finely finely tuned. Um, because I, I use a lot of metaphors for, you know, sports guys and athletes. To me he's an athlete and he just so happens to work on the number one tier operating group that takes out the the worst people in the world and keeps our country safe and gives them, gives us freedom, um, so to speak. So um, I'm very much in tune with his work ethic. The process um, to me is like, it's an exhilarating high to know that I'm approaching a season and what I have to do in my workouts and how I do them and how I physically get ready and then mentally prepare for it. Um, you know, we finish the season, the, the next day I'm thinking, all right, as a producer, I got to figure out what works, what doesn't work. What writers are good? How do we go forward? How do we make the characters work? So for me, it's all the process. I love the process, and I love Jason Hayes because he's so finely tuned and focused, but yet he's so misunderstood underneath, and he's confused, and he's conflicted. So I think it's
0: awesome. Let's talk process because your process is very different. You're not just a lead in this show. You're also an EP on the program. You're an executive Mm -hmm. producer. Now, David, I I asked somebody— in the know about your role as EP this person Mm -hmm. told me that being an EP is not a vanity thing with you that you're all in you take the responsibility extremely seriously for instance this person told me you want to know how the stories play out you want to know what the various character arcs are over the course of the Mm -hmm. season that person told me that you're like the QB and you work to keep everybody focused does that sound about right to you and then how do you approach that role overall
1: very much in tune man intense with the level of understanding what it takes to play the character to lead a group of people and the process behind that so if you have the ep hat on you know i'm I'm with my showrunner and my other eps and we're understanding that process and how it floats and how it progresses to the point where we can always get better moment to moment not like hey six episodes down or next season like I'm, i'm here in the now i operate very much in the now This is what we need to work on how do we get better where did we fall down how can we improve that and as from the actor's perspective it's it's my responsibility to get the best out of the castmates and also in doing so i find out a lot about my character i find out about my shortcomings um i feed into that and i know like okay i gotta work better at this i have to work better at you know delivering my subtext better to that character at the specific moment if i have to set an example i have to be so forward focused that it can get grueling at times. It can get aggressive at times. It can, people can look at me, and go, you know, this guy's an asshole. Because I, he's treating me like, you know, hey, I, I'm just demanding the best of what I can get out of you. And if I can get the best out of you for that moment there, then that scene's going to rock. And then the next scene's going to be better. And then all of a sudden we have an episode and then it goes from there. So for me, it's so forward focused that um, I put myself in. A lot of those areas. And to be honest with you, Jim, it gets tiring and I fall down and I learn, I learn about myself. I, I gotta stay in my lane sometimes. So it's not just you have to be able to be open to the vulnerabilities of what other, other people are, are giving back to you. And that's something I've learned on, on this show a lot.
0: David, you don't go Michael Jordan on their ass and not let them eat if they don't give you everything <laughs> that you want and need, do you?
1: It's not that extreme. We were shooting in
0: Serbia last year and
1: it's like, come on, man. We're in Belgrade. Uh, It's like, it's not what it used to be. I don't care about my trailer. We're shooting in some small coffee shop. I'm going to change in the bathroom. I'm going to put my stuff on. I'm going to come to set ready to roll. I'm not going to worry about my makeup. I'm not going to worry about my hair. I don't care about like the shit that's on my face right now. I'm playing a Navy SEAL. Let me make the production easy and not get in a van and get stuck in traffic when you're waiting for me for 25 minutes to shoot a scene. I get it. It's th- to me that is like you gotta take on the responsibility and don't be like bring that other sh- well back home. We got a craft service table and you get like chicken wraps. And I'm like guys, <laughs> we We're don't have chicken wraps
0: here. All right, like right.
1: adapt to the environment
0: and then do your job. You know, it's, it's not surprising at all to hear you talk like that. In fact, you still work with the same teacher, the same coach. 20 years plus, yep. you've been with the same coach. I mean, I guess yep. on one hand, it would be easy to say, like, my shit worked out, man. I'm, I've am i had an amazing run, an amazing career. I'm still killing it at a very high level. Why do you continue to work with the same person? Why is that so important to do that at this point in your life?
1: She brings out the best in me, and, and, and I find things with inside of myself as an actor to apply to the character that is vulnerable— that is different that is unique and I'm um, very trustworthy the trust factor is huge between myself and Ivana Chubik, who I who I've worked with for 20 plus years and we just have this riff and we support that and we find what it takes to get the through line in the in the character's arc or the process with you know bringing a character on and how you're going to deal with a therapy in a, in a in a scene like the therapy session so she brings out the best in me and we have a lot of laughs and she continues to push the envelope because I have to find a conflict in the character in order to make him thrive and make him interesting. I've always said an actor stays when he excites the writer. And if you're not exciting the writer, then you're not doing your job. If the writer is writing something for you to do, then you got to explore that and branch out and make them more excited. But if you just continue to do what they're saying for you to do, then it becomes boring. Then you get lost and you're not, you're not really stretching so for me, it's it's all about the coach. I'm a big off-season guy. I mean, like I have a call with her today. I'm going over stuff. So I'm a huge, and I think I get that from the you know wanting to be an athlete, wanting to make it as an athlete. I love that process. I love the the summer days of grinding it out, doing wind sprints, you know, putting a parachute on your back and running up a hill. I like the other day with my trainer. And Jamie pulls up with Bella, and she sees me. I'm running up the hill with a parachute on my back. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. And I'm trying to get the parachute to go up. Now, when you're running up the hill and you're 51, the parachute's not going to be climbing like you was doing when you were 32. No shit. But
0: I went for it, man. (laughs) And then my, my little girl just rolled her eyes. Just dad doing dad things, man. Crazy old dad. Crazy boomer. Yeah. You know, now you recently chatted, though, with some deployed service members in Iraq as part of a virtual USO tour. Yeah. You've not done that before, right? What was that like?
1: First time doing, like, this kind of virtual kind of tour. We uh, visited the al Air Base virtually, and you just kind of get shot over there, and you see about 20, 25 um, <clears throat> men and women living in, like, the plywood dome, like the the room, so to speak. And you just talk about... Things that are going on in your life about the show. They're in tune with the characters. Um, you know, who's your favorite sports team? It was like one ranger guy against me being a flyer guy. So we were like, you know, throwing some smart talk back and forth to each other. Um, but it, it's, it was great to get into their world virtually because of what they're doing over there and the, and, you know, missiles hit over there and it was, you know, traumatic. And it's like, you're just part of that kind of world and giving them some sense of like, Hey, what's it like back home? And what, what do you do? And you know, like, uh, do you go swimming or you go for runs? All those things I think are, are extremely helpful for their mentality. Um, the mental aspect of it is, I, I tell you, it's just crazy. It's hard to really understand these guys and women who, who sacrifice what they do. But the mental aspect of it is just, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different world. And I think for all of us, we're now stuck at home quarantined. I mean, mentally. Don't you feel like you're losing oh, yeah, a bit? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no mean, doubt. It's so hard. think about that. If no you're doubt. Or you're in Afghanistan, and you're running down, and you you, know, you got a suicide bomber with a suicide vest on you, and you're, you know, you're deployed out there, and you don't know whether to take the guy out or not. It's crazy.
0: Right, and we're concerned that we can't go to a restaurant or we can't go to a bar, and this is right. what we are dealing yeah. with. And because you've got such profound respect for these people and the sacrifices they made, and you work with so many of these tier one types and you get to know them, were you at all concerned initially about what kind of reaction you would get from vets about the show? And what do they generally say about the show?
1: You know, I wasn't. I, I you know, for me, I attack a project like I don't. I don't. I'm just. I'm doing my my thing here. I'm, I'm like, I've got my process and put my work into it. When I signed on to do seal team, I officially turned it down because I didn't like that. It was shooting in new Orleans. I didn't want to ship my family out there. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I just finished bones for 12 seasons. I don't want to live in new Orleans. Sorry guys. doesn't have any, I can't even go up play a pickup game of ice hockey. It's huh. not happening. So they're like, okay. And then they hired another actor Literally a week and a half later, I'm on my couch, and throughout that process, I'm like talking to Jamie, going, "Did I make the right decision? Like something's gnawing at me on the inside." The character wasn't really written. She's like, "Don't worry about it. It's it is what it is." And then I get a call. They're like, "This guy's not working out. Would you consider coming back?" So I'm like, "Okay, this is coming back to me. It makes sense." Um, got on the phone with Mark Owen, who is one of the EPs and the real guy, and. I was impressed by it. I'm calling you tomorrow at 7.15. Call me tomorrow. The next day at 7.15. Convinced me in a way that wasn't really needed of convincing, but just was like, I'm here for you. What do you need? Let's go kick ass. And I'm like, you know what? I'm in. I I fast roped into New Orleans on a a ship. I was thrown in all this gear. I couldn't see. You know, I'm like walking around with a helmet on. It's windy as hell. I don't know anything about the gear. I just was holding on, man. And they guided me. And it was through their guidance that I, I got into it. And it was a point, it was like a breaking point, where I'm like, you know what? I, I, I did all the work. Um, I had to fast rope in 48 hours after it, get all the lines down. I'm pressing. I'm, like, gripping my stick a little bit. And I said, fuck it, man. I said, at one point, I just banged open the goddamn door doing a scene. I had whatever I had, the equipment on it, and I just rolled with it. And it was just, just snapped into it, and it made sense. So, for me, it was going in that direction. And in the back of your mind, you're going, I said, as long as I'm with these guys and they're telling me the stories, the real stories, and we're shooting it real, anamorphically, and we're not sugarcoating this and we're not making it look like a network show, I'm in the right place. And so I didn't think like, how are they going to react? What's it going to be like? I was just, I was just concerned about getting through the day. Um, moment to moment. And in the now, that's how I look at it. Jeez!
0: And by the way, it's like the best advice ever for everything and everybody, and it's irrefutable. If you're just in that moment and you're so present, you're not concerned about everything else because everything will take care of itself if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You mentioned the gear. What is the <coughs> significance of the helmet that you wear on that show?
1: So we, uh, so the gear is, is pretty laid down. I mean, these guys, the real guys, they're they're jacked up to 120 pounds of gear, you know, and that's just. Before they jump out of the plane um, in the middle of the night, with you know parachuting into a, an area that is completely desolate and they have no idea where they're heading, um, so the helmet yeah, for me was I think it was the end of the first season. They're like, "Hey, we get you a new helmet, a little bit more lightweight helmet."
0: And I was in the
1: office with um, with Tyler Gray, who is a producer, a Delta Force guy, and then Justin, who handles the dog. Um, both great guys, and Justin's like, the gear guy, he's like, well, we can get to this streamlined helmet, it'd be really cool. I said, I don't know, man. And then, you know, I was like, what about, you know, Mark's helmet? And they're like, yeah, I mean, that would be cool. I was like, well, I got to ask the guy, I can't just take his helmet. I can't just use this guy's helmet. It was, this is the helmet he was on those raids. Like, that helmet, like, was there a bit a lot. Like, every, that's, like that's intense, it's like... Know, it's like a piece of history. So I called him up and I asked him, he's like, bro, that's great. I would love for you to wear the helmet. It's a little heavier, but what it does see is it just represents like, okay, what am I feeling on the back of my neck? And it's, we're shooting we're shooting deployments and it's a wall. That's, to me, is always remembering the sacrifice. The neck might hurt or the head from the helmet, I'm cold to get it on, but it just reminds me of the sacrifice these guys had and what he went through. So... I honor that. I honor him by wearing his helmet, and it reminds me of, you know, just keeps me humble and keeps my feet on the ground.
0: Goosebumps, man. That's amazing. Listen, before I let you go, you mentioned there's no hockey team for you to skate with in New Orleans. Are you still playing?
1: I do play. I mean, the frustrating part is I can't play now. I do I do have my games. Um, it's another I, – I really attribute the the whole kind of SEAL team kind of movement to a great hockey team who's – you're doing your job. Either you're playing defense or your forwards are rushing. It's kind of like if you don't do your job, then you're going to get killed. You're going to get screwed. So I do play the game. I love it. Um, I'm excited that hopefully the NHL will be back soon. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's a great sport. I love putting the blades on and, and cutting the ice. It's the one sport where I honestly, Jim, I'm just am not thinking about anything. It's when I go there. It's like I'm in white noise. I'm flying around the ice, and you're gotta be so aware. And it reminds me a lot of Jason Hayes going through, breaching doors and attacking certain situations. If if you mess up or you think about other things, you're gonna get killed. So, and I don't really want to get crushed on the board. So you're just so aware, hyper awareness while you're flying on the ice. So, I love it. I play when I can, and um, you know I think it's a great
0: sport. All right, since you mentioned process, I've got to ask you this. You're a huge Sixers fan. How do yeah. you feel about your squad and do you still trust the process?
1: I it's been a little frustrating, so to speak. Um, you know, I I do I do I'm going to say that I I'm I'm almost 100% in the process. Yeah. <laughs> I I can't look at basketball the same. I got to be honest with you after. I mean, look, I'm a huge Jordan fan and um you know, watching this whole documentary, I'm sure like everyone else did, he's a beast. He's the goat. He's the guy. The Sixers, um, have a lot of elements, but they've also made some really stupid moves. And, you know, now with this time off, maybe we'll get a little bit healthier. And I think Ben Simmons is, is, is really good. And I think Embiid's just a dominant player. And I just think they need a little some more help around the outside and the coach thing. I don't know. I'm a little shaky on that route right there.
0: People are right now. I can't deny that. Yeah. I'm a big Brett Brown guy, but people are shaky. So before- I like him. I just don't know if
1: I, I don't know if it's becoming like I don't know, like. I feel like it's just becoming like the same old thing. You
0: know, and I think maybe you need something to shake it up. I don't know what that is. I, I really don't. Yeah, and you could be right. Listen, you're a huge Eagles fan, so I got to know. And you're a big Carson Wentz guy. So what was yeah. your reaction when they took Jalen Hurts in the second round?
1: I didn't quite know what the hell was going on. I mean. I think if you analyze it and you look at what they what uh, <clears throat> what they were doing, it's like okay, Wentz is a he's a risk taker, right? He's going to play, he's going to put his heart on the on the line, and he's going to make moves. He's going to get hurt possibly. So they pick. They, they, it's almost kind of like a quarterback league for some reason. All right, let's pick up Jalen hurts up, and I was kind of like, what? Don't we need that safety or that, um, or maybe that linebacker? But I mean, they, they what they did in the draft I thought was really fascinating. They picked up a lot of speed. Um, they picked up this Boise State wide receiver. I love this Hightower kid. I mean, they can fly. Um, so they have like, you know, D-Jacks coming back. They have pretty much a track team on the outside with speed. They I do. love their tight ends. Yep. Um, and I think Sanders is going to have a breakout huge year. And, uh, you know, he's, like, he's working out. And, you know, he's on social media saying he's going to be the MVP. Like, I love his confidence. So um, I think it was a good pickup. I, I think, look, he goes down and hurts. Coming, he's I hear he's a great team guy. Um, and he's not looking to shake things up. So I, I think it will be an interesting fit. Mm. And, you know, Godspeed on him, and I hope he does well.
0: David, leave me with one thought about the Seals because I want to mention this. That The first – and you've got your crew there, guys that I know that you respect – Tremendously, and that you work closely with. The first Navy SEAL that I ever met was a guy named Richard Makowicz, and he and I became very, very close friends. And the reason I met him was he had written a book, a motivational book, and I read it, and I knew he had a martial arts background. And I asked him if I could train with him, and he said, If you pass the test. And it freaked me out immediately. I'm like, What test? You can drop me in the jungle somewhere? He's like, Why don't you relax, man? I've got this dojo in Santa Monica. You come down, we have a talk, we have a test. And I said, what's the test? He's like, look, we're not doing this like this. Do you want to do this or not? Come down, take the test. (laughs) As part of the test, he says to me, I've never met this guy before. And he shows up like most seals, right? He's shredded. And you just look at this guy. And he's not that he's so big per se, you know, maybe six feet, lean. But you know you want no part of this guy. You just know this inherently. David, he says to me, choke me. I said, what? He said, choke me. (laughs) I said, I'm really not comfortable. He's like, choke me, motherfucker. So I wrap up on this guy and he goes, and I'm not comfortable at all. He goes harder, harder. And all of a sudden now I'm like, I want to find the door, but now I'm in it and I'm choking this guy as hard as I can. And it's having no effect at all. It was like the most demoralizing thing ever ever and mm-hmm. I love this guy, and I wanted whatever he had, although there was no hack to get it. You know, fast forward to this day. I don't know where you come out on these guys, but I just want to ask you, like David Goggins, Jocko Willink. These are like my favorite guys mm-hmm. because I want what they have. Do you connect with those guys? Do you read those guys? Do you have any connection I with do. them at all?
1: You know, Mark Owen, I think, is just uh, he's just... He's the whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing right now, all of us. He is... You know, he wrote a book called No Easy Day, and he just is... He's so simple and detail-oriented, but he's just like this guy he has got flip-flops on, shorts, and he's a badass. You, don't, you, you just don't see it, right? He just like, looks like a normal guy. Um, and he's not – what I learned about he, – what he taught me was being exposed. So being exposed is running the course, going through the process, and somebody does something that is like, oh, man, I got a sliver in my finger and I'm fucking crying. And um, you know what, I just, or there's a little vanity behind me and I need to like, I can't do something um, because X, Y, and Z. And they're just become like, I want to say crybabies, but they do. And he's like, okay, you have just been exposed. I know who you are. I'm going to say hi to you. I'm not going to be Dick, but at that moment you got exposed. He taught me how to read people and have them be exposed. Once you're exposed, you're exposed you've done something that has caused a riff or an unnecessary outcome that is so stupid. And like in preschool days, like, what are you doing, man? Why are you throwing mud? And why are you having like a pissy attack? Like, don't do it. If there's no reason behind it, you look like an idiot. That's just being exposed. And he taught me that. And that's the mental aspect of it. And I, to this day, I just, you know, I love the guy just for his, his work ethic and how he attacks certain situations and how he deals with the bullshit. Because here's somebody, 13 appointments. he sells a show to CBS, and he knows how to navigate that. And it's one of his strong points, and he taught me that, and God bless him.
0: I love that. All right, going forward, I'm going to do everything I can not to be exposed and be aware <laughs> of that. Well, man, David, I have not Jim, run you down. You're far from being
1: exposed, man. You're the real deal, man. We've had some real great classic moments my friend
0: we we haven't i was just gonna say the last classic moment we have i've not seen you since you rescued me at a hollywood party pulled yeah. me out of the fire took care of yeah. me and i do appreciate that too listen best best to jamie let jamie know that i said so and janet said so do. I, you we'll do everything's it's so great to get caught up with you
1: great to hear from you man and we'll talk soon man keep in touch
0: Huge thanks to my dude, David Boreanaz. Great to get caught up with him on the long-form side hustle. My man is the very definition of personable, isn't he? Class, class act. Next week, the legend Jimmy Connors will be by. He'll make his first appearance on the podcast. Make sure you don't miss that by getting subscribed right now, the next episode. And then everyone after that will automatically ping your listening device. And all you have to do is press play and enjoy. So once again, get subscribed right now. That's it for me. Thank you for listening as always. And here is your going away present, your voicemails.
2: First new message. Hey,
1: Jim, this is Blaine from 812. And I've got this official smack-off song right here. Let's talk smack, it's smack day. We want good takes, not bad takes, is that okay? Jim Rome, I hope you know the clothes on how to act.
2: Come on, Rachel, shave your back. Come on, Rachel, shave your back. Let's all... message deleted next message
1: what's up Vance Mac? this is brady from rochester and i'm sorry to say that i'm behind on my podcast episodes but i'm trying to catch up and i just finished listening to the stacy king episode i'm a bulls fan and that was great one of my favorites it made me think that we really need to get stacy king and kevin harlan to do play-by-play and commentary for the nba finals i mean van gundy's hilarious he and Mark Jackson make a good team, but imagine that if we had Kevin Harlan and Stacey King on there. And let's not stop at that. Tell the CBS sports people, let's get them on the NCAA tournament. Probably could get Jeff and SoCal to even watch the WNBA if he had those two on there. So, see if you can make it happen.
2: Message saved. Next message.
1: Hello, Dan, in Michigan calling. Just checking in. Hope the family's well. On episode uh, 79 now, you know, the, the sun was up at 4.30, so we just hop in the car and we drive around. But, uh what was up with Cuban, man? I mean, the guy's nice, but asking you if you know how to do a sake bomb? Who does he think you are? Just some bum off the street? Awk. Hope you had a good Memorial Day. Hope you just hit too many balls into the Pacific at Tory Pines, brother. Peace.
2: Message saved. Next message.
1: What's up, Rome? This is Justin in Green Bay. I'm so glad you got Brandon Boyd on, man. He is the coolest man in the world. I'm probably the biggest, thinkubist fan in the universe. I've had the pleasure of meeting and hanging out with Brandon a few times, and he's just so nice and so down to earth. The band is amazing. I do have to point out they did change one band member after Make Yourself. They added Ben Kenney from The Roots, and they just, I think, I love the way they jam now, man. Those guys are amazing. Thanks. War Giannis. War the Bucks. War. Finish the season.
2: Message saved. Next message.
1: Hey, Jim. Lance in Oklahoma City, man. I am really enjoying the podcast. I'm an avid runner, and it's something that I can kind of just listen to as I'm running. And the Stacey King podcast in particular was epic, and as I'm running around my local municipal track, laughed out loud so loud that the chick in front of me thought I was laughing at her, and that wasn't the case. But that's how good that podcast was. Keep up the good work, Jim. Appreciate it. I'm out.
2: Message saved. Next message.
1: Jim Robert calling from Oklahoma. Hey, your
2: rant on Pasquale's pizza is epic. Probably the best rant I've heard, and I've been listening to The Jungle for over 20 years. I sent your rant to my 13-year-old daughter. She sent me a text, never going to Chuck E. Cheese ever again. Thanks, Jim. Message saved. You have no more messages.